Fortress of Bailey Tude Productions, in association with MediaGauntlet.com, presents Views from the Longbox for November 7th, 2007, Episode 19. What have you done? Nothing. Nothing except read comic books. You also lose our jobs on account of comic books. You keep me awake every night with your bad dreams on account of comic books. You know, it's, it's getting to the point where I'm wondering if I am buying DVDs simply to keep up with my Wall of Shame collection, which is all of my comic book-related DVDs and videos that my wife dubbed the Wall of Shame, jokingly, of course, because, frankly, she supports my habit as any good enabler should, so, you know she kids because she cares and I know that but but you know it's like do I want the DVD or am I getting it for the wall and frankly I'm feeling the same way about comic books kind of but it seems easy to give up other things than comics I mean I haven't bought Ghost Rider yet but from all accounts the movie sucked so I may not be missing anything there then again I also haven't bought Sin City yet and I loved that movie I don't know. I used to buy all of them as they came out, and now more and more time goes between me getting some of the comic book-based movies when they finally hit the DVD aftermarket. Eh, probably means nothing. I haven't had a lot of money lately anyways, so I'll get around to it. Anyway, hey there everybody. Welcome back to Views from the Longbox. I am your host, Michael Bailey, once again here to bring you about 30 minutes or so of comic book goodness. I actually got a lot lined up for this episode, uh, most of which will be taken up with my longer than probably is necessary review of Spider-Man 3. I have the podcast pick of the week, and I'll give you another reminder of that contest going on here at Views. But first, we have another edition of Out of Context Theater. Yeah, I guess right there you were probably expecting some kind of musical intro, or maybe me like saying Out of Context Theater and filtering it through an echo thing, but... Frankly, I haven't thought that far ahead, so sorry about the moment of dead air there, but, uh, you know, I'm trying. I I really am. Anyways, a few episodes back, I introduced Out of Context Theater, which is where I take some little audio sample from a comic book-related movie serial or television series or even radio show and play it for you completely out of context. It's meant to be funny. But it's probably going to come off as more offensive than funny, unless you find offensive things funny, in which case it's going to come off as hilarious. Hopefully. 
This week, we have another sample from the Superman radio series that ran from 1940 until 1951. The episode the clip comes from was titled The Prison Riot and originally aired on March 18, 1940. This is when the Superman radio series was a transcribed feature, which means it was pre-recorded and aired later rather than live, as most radio shows at the time were done. I know it seems like I'm picking on the Superman radio show a lot, but frankly, there's a lot of comedy gold in Nindar Hills. And I, I got a lot of the Superman radio show, so, you know, there's that too. And without further ado, here's the clip. Anything else, Miss Lane? You've been at it since early afternoon. Oh, I'm not nearly finished yet, Warden. Well, you've seen about all there is to see. Aren't you getting hungry? Now, I realize that this week's clip requires kind of a dirty mind to begin with, and you need to give me a little latitude here, but to me, it sounds like the warden of this prison and Lois were having a really good time in that office. Or at least the warden was. I mean, Lois Lane frankly doesn't strike me as that type of girl but who knows maybe she really wanted that story maybe the warden is really good looking but from the sound of the man's voice i'm guessing not either way i i don't think an expose of some podunk prison is worth whatever humiliation lois had to go through to get it <sighs> poor girl eh. and now that that tasteless bit of fun is over, I guess I should get into my review of Spider-Man 3. I admittedly have a kind of love-hate relationship with the Spider-Man films. On one hand, they aren't terrible. I mean, I've seen some god-awful comic book films in my time. I mean, there was Batman and Robin, Spawn, Steel the direct-to-video Captain America film, and I'm not even going to get into, like, television pilots, which only a 10-year-old or, you know, somebody with the IQ of a 10-year-old would really enjoy and think was good. I believe that Spider-Man 1 and 2 were both done with the best of intentions, and there are aspects of both films that worked. As an origin story, Spider-Man 1 was great, and I liked Tobey Maguire and James Franco and Willem Dafoe when he wasn't in that ugly-as-hell goblin suit. The second one had some really great scenes, and Alfred Molina was fantastic as Doc Ock, and the setup with the character, especially with his wife, was very well done. And J.K. Simmons, I mean, I can't say enough about how perfect this guy was for the role of J. Jonah Jameson. But, you know, at the same time, there were some major problems as well. The Goblin was a good choice for a first villain, but the design was, well, you know, I think Weird Al put it best when he compared it to a Power Rangers costume. And Kirsten Dunst is pretty much unwatchable as Mary Jane. I don't know if it was her performance, or the writing, or some combination of the two, but she did nothing for me in either films. Spider-Man 2 also suffered from actually having the deleted scenes in the film, which I had never seen before. I mean, what was with that bit with Peter and the Russian girl eating cake? Was that really necessary? 
I, I mean, it didn't do anything for the film. It was actually kind of confusing because all throughout the film, he's pining for Mary Jane, and all of a sudden, the you know, kind of mousy, hot Russian girl from next door comes over with a dessert item, and they just sit there and eat cake. I mean, that's it. I, I just, I just couldn't see why. Sam Raimi wasted perfectly good celluloid and running time to put that in. But, you know, that could just be me. Maybe some of you out there like seeing mousy, hot Russian girls eating cake. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. I, you know, I, every time I think of Spider-Man 2... Okay, quick story about me seeing Spider-Man 2 in the theaters. My wife and I went to see it opening weekend, as we are wont to do with most comic book films, except for both Catwoman and Elektra, which I think we can all agree were two of the worst comic book films ever made. I mean, I saw Catwoman for free because I bought the first uh, volume of the Batman the Animated Series box set, and I still wanted my money back afterwards. That's how horrible I thought that film was. Anyway, for various reasons, which I won't get into here, my wife and I usually sit in the back of the theater. And a few minutes before the pre-movie stuff started, a mountain of a man headed up the stairs and entered our row. This guy was huge. I mean, tall and wide. He wore the Hot Topic-issued pants. He had a black Spider-Man symbol t-shirt in one hand he had a bag i mean like a grocery bag of popcorn and in the other a gallon of soda the expression on his face was clear i'm here for this movie and don't mess it up or i will eat you i mean i'm not usually intimidated by people but i wasn't about to do anything to piss this guy off so we settle into the movie and everything's going fine and it gets to the point where Peter and MJ are in the coffee shop, and MJ asks Peter if he loves her. Suddenly, there's this loud, booming voice next to me. Tell her you love her! Tell her you love her! Slowly, I turn my head and see the big, bad, don't-fuck-with-me scary guy screaming at Peter and MJ as if they were really in front of him. And for some reason, I remember popcorn coming out of the bucket or bag, you know, but, you know, I might be adding that for effect. In any case, this guy was into this film. I mean into this film. <laughs> uh, it takes all kinds. Big bad don't fuck with me dude was a softie. Who knew? <laughs> Back to the matter at hand, despite the misgivings I have for the first two Spider-Man films, I was actually looking forward to the third one. I like the black costume. I actually like Venom. The trailers and the sneak peeks made it look decent. And I also like to see Thomas Hayden Church and Topher Grace work, so there was that too. So opening night, my wife, my buddy Eric, and I went to the AMC 24 in Morrow, Georgia. And I guess the best word to describe what seemed like the next six hours of my life slipping away was underwhelmed. When I first saw the film, I 
had my opinions about it and even expressed a few of them on the Unique Geek podcast when we were talking about it, but I really wanted to see the film again before making a final judgment on it. I'm that kind of a guy. Sometimes I'll like something the first time out and hate it on subsequent viewings, and there are other times that I hate it the first time and learn to love it later. X-Men 3 was a good example of the latter. I really didn't care for it the first time out, but once I bought it on DVD and watched it again, I I rather liked it. I thought maybe Spider-Man 3 would do the same. Boy, was I wrong about that. I mean, I haven't been that wrong since I told my friend Andy back in 1996 that this anime thing wasn't going to last all that long. Now, in all honesty, and to be fair, there are parts of Spider-Man 3 that I like. But on the whole, this is a terrible film on just about every level. Acting, directing, writing. Top to bottom, some scenes are nearly unwatchable. And most of them revolve around Kirsten Dunst. I mean, Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer was so much better than this film, and that movie had a giant cloud as Galactus. The main problem... Spider-Man 3 suffered from was the fact that it was trying to be three different films in one. I guess that's kind of appropriate in some way since it is the third film, but it makes for a rather crappy viewing experience. You have the Sandman plot, which is interesting. You have the Venom plot, which is surprisingly interesting. And then you have the Harry as the New Goblin plot, which could have been interesting but came off as complete crap. So, okay, taking them in order, and to start off with the things I rather liked about the film, because, you know, I always like to try to put that positive foot forward before I, you know, slam something into the ground and say how much it sucks. So, anyways, taking them in order, if they had focused on the Sandman plot, introduced the black costume, and had the whole Venom thing happen at the end as a cliffhanger, I think the movie could have worked. Thomas Hayden Church was fantastic in the role, and I think they did a good job of setting up his character and motivation. The Sandman in general was handled well. One of the ways the Spider-Man films excel is translating certain aspects of the comic book into real life. The shots of Spider-Man swinging through New York got better and better with each film, and I think it was to the Sandman's credit that they waited till the third film to actually you know, present him and let the technology grow a little more so that you could have those stunning shots of him coming together for the first time and that classic straight-from-the-comic shot of Spider-Man shoving his fist straight through the Sandman's midsection. I mean, that's almost lifted directly from the cover of Amazing Spider-Man number 4. Cover date September 1963, for those of you that like that kind of thing. I also liked Eddie Brock. When it was announced that Topher Grace was going to play the character, the first thought that popped into my head was, wow, Raimi is going to do the Raimi version of Venom. And what I mean by that is, okay, in the comics, Eddie Brock was a pretty beefy guy, and when he was Venom, he was even more so. Not so much at first, really. Looking at McFarlane's early Venom, he was buff, but not outrageously so. In any case, by having Eddie be around the same age as Peter and look somewhat like him, but not have that innate sense of right and wrong, then you had, to me, a more compelling anti-Spider-Man. 
And Topher Grace was fantastic in his scenes. There are very few actors today with a good, natural, comedic timing. And Topher Grace has it in spades. I mean, he proved it on that 70s show. And even, in a weird way, with his minor role in Traffic. I mean, this one scene he was in, I actually laughed in a scene that you weren't really supposed to laugh at. But he came off as kind of funny in it. He also nailed the serious moments. Even though the ending was pretty much awful, and I'll get to that in a second, the scene where he was explaining to Peter why he was doing everything he was doing had this intensity that just came through in his performance. I mean, I bought it. I bought what the character was feeling. Even though he brought everything that happened to him on himself, I totally understood his motivations. Which, with the crap this movie was, it's kind of amazing that that happened in the first place. Rosemary Harris was great as Aunt May. She didn't have that much to do in this film, but her scenes are some of the better ones. I dug James Cromwell as Captain Stacy. Again, he didn't he wasn't there all that much, but you know when when you know you look at Captain Stacy in the comics, yeah, he doesn't look like James Cromwell, but when you see him on screen, it's like, wow, it's Captain Stacy. And I didn't really have that many problems with Bryce Dallas Howard either as Gwen Stacy. I thought a lot more could have been done with her, and it seemed like Gwen Stacy was there as a tool and not a character, but that is hardly Howard's fault. So those parts I like. I think the Sandman, as played by Church, could have carried a film. I think that if they had eliminated the Sandman and stuck with Eddie Brock and developed the Venom side of it a little more, it could have carried a film. If they had made Gwen Stacy a legitimate romantic interest, her role would have been more interesting to watch. Unfortunately, and I realize it sounds like, you know, armchair editing and writing and directing and, you know, getting a decent film out there, but none of that happened. And because of it, the rest of the film was one big fat disappointment after another. Tommy McGuire was fine. I think my main problem is that he seemed distracted throughout the entire film. Some of his performances seemed to be kind of phoned in. I don't know if he was having personal problems, or was sick of the role by that point, or whatever. But while there were a few good scenes with him in it... I was disappointed with his part in the film, which is bad because Tobey Maguire is the title character. I don't blame him for the emo scenes. I I really don't. Actually, I liked the fact that when he went bad, he was just more of a dick than anything else, which made the scene where he hit Mary Jane all the more powerful because that's when you and he realized that he had gone too far. Sure, he danced down the street and acted kind of like a jackass, but, you know, I I contend that if you take a nerd with awkward social skills and give them a little self-confidence, they're going to go through a period where they act like a complete dork in public because they think they're being cool because they feel a little better about themselves. That, by the way, does not carry over to the big dance number at the jazz club that was just retarded. I, 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 God, what the hell was Raimi thinking? <sighs> Kirsten Dunst was awful in this film. I would say that most of it was the writing, but her performance didn't help at all. 
I, I just didn't like Mary Jane. It's like Lana from Smallville. Why is this guy interested in this woman? Yes, Mary Jane was going through a bad time, especially through the second act of the film. But the first time Peter actually tries to talk to her about it and say, hey, I know what you feel like, she just blows him off. And her jealousy of Spider-Man's newfound popularity bugged the hell out of me as well. I mean, yes, she was going through that bad time. Her career was sinking. But it seemed like she resented Peter's life finally turning around, and that just kind of irked me because this is the guy she supposedly loves. And it seemed like she was just like, well, my life's going to hell, so let's pay attention to me, me, me. And you can argue with me on that, but you'd be wrong. And then there was the singing. I, I realize this wasn't exactly Kirsten Dunst's fault. I mean, I don't think those scenes were her idea. But what kind of superhero film starts with a fucking musical number? God, that was terrible. Ugh. Next up was Harry Osborne. And the sad thing is, is I actually liked James Franco for the most part. That opening scene where he and Peter fought in the air was just awesome. I mean, that's what kind of sold me on the film when they showed that little, you know, teaser, sneak peek, whatever you want to call it, uh, online. And I think they showed it after an episode of Heroes, too. I could be wrong about that. But his part of the film wasn't bad, but I think a lot of it distracted from the other two plots that Raimi was foisting upon us and trying to get us into, which made the film a little disjointed. Okay, without him getting MJ to break up with Peter and thus stick Peter's life further into the toilet, the motivation for Peter to put the black suit back on wouldn't have been there. Franco's performance was fine and very layered at times, but the way it fit into the movie just kind of slowed it down and caused some problems for me. And then finally, you had the ending. Where the hell did this epic superhero supervillain fight come from? I realize it separated the third film from the previous two, where the battles were done more privately, sort of, but between the giant sand creature and Harry and Peter flying into action, I just didn't like it. Anytime it started to get interesting, like when Peter and Eddie fought, we had to go back to giant sand creature versus Harry. Add to that, the bit with J. Jonah acting like an idiot in the crowd in this f was the final nail in this movie's coffin. It was a lousy ending. Action-packed? Sure. Different from the previous two films? Yeah. Did it suck ass? Oh, hell yes. And it's really too bad, too, because I wanted to like this movie. I really did. And there were parts I really enjoyed just not enough to give it an overall positive review. I don't know. Maybe some new blood needs to come into this franchise. I read a few years back that the Spider-Man films had a chance to become kind of like the James Bond films, where every three or four films a different crew comes in with a new director, a new Spider-Man, and a new direction, and frankly that would be awesome. It would be like the comics, really, where a writer and artist come in and breathe new life into a character and make him exciting for a new, for lack of a better term, generation of fans. And as long as they never adapt the Spider-Clone saga, I, I think it would work, and I think it would be better for all of us. But if they ever do, 
adapt the Spider-Clone Saga. I think that's kind of like the seventh seal breaking, and I believe Pestilence comes after that. I'm not sure. I'm not really up on my Bible lore as I should be. <sighs> Alrighty then. Enough bile. Time to move on to bigger and better things, like the podcast pick of the week. Again, I really should get some kind of, like, musical cue for that. Or maybe, like I said, echo my voice a little bit. You know, make it a little spicier, I guess. A little more pleasing to the ears. Exciting on a radio level. But, yep, haven't figured that out yet. And am way too busy at this time to really do the research. Anyways, this time out, I'd like to recommend Geek Out Loud, hosted by... And I swear to God, this is what he calls himself, Big Honkin' Steve. If you remember from last week's episode, I read an email from Steve and subsequently checked out his podcast and really liked what I heard. I actually see his cast and mine having a lot in common, at least in terms of method, if not content. Steve talks about a wide range of geek stuff, including Smallville, which I don't watch anymore, and Heroes, which I should be watching, and other things that if you like superheroes and such like that, you'd be really interested in. The fourth episode, he spent a long time talking about the upcoming Justice League film, and I really liked what he had to say. I don't agree with every bit of it, but this guy seems to know what he's talking about as far as, you know, where his opinions are coming from, so I trust in that. Anyways, you can find his blog and podcast info at www.geekoutonline, which is one word, dot com. And finally, I have another piece of viewer mail. And this comes from... Oh, sweet Jesus. Well, I'm going to read it with no real intro. Uh, Subject line, love the show body of email how about more shag sincerely shag (sighs) well despite shag writing in to pimp himself and probably get into the contest I can say that there will be more shag coming to views from the long box Next week, we have another edition of the Mike and Shag show coming up, where Shag and I discuss some of our favorite comics from the late 80s. Usually, I do the Shag and Mike, or Mike and Shag, however you want to call it, episodes, uh, you know, in the third week of the month, but with Thanksgiving, you know, occupying the third Thursday of this month, I wanted to do a Thanksgiving episode, so I kind of bumped it up. We actually recorded it Uh, on Monday of this week and a good time was had by all or at least us. So you can look for that on November 14th and that about does it for this week I think. Remember I am running a contest with real prizes and everything Uh, you can find the details at viewsfromthelongbox.blogspot.com but in brief all you have to do is email me at viewsfromthelongbox at gmail.com and tell me what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. Uh, There's also a little theme song thing going on where I'm playing two great big sea songs 
uh, one on one episode, one on another, and I want you to tell me which one you like better, or if you don't want either one and have another suggestion for a theme song. You can also find some of my random, random musings there, in addition to the RSS feed and iTunes subscription info. I am still doing the weekly column of views over at ComicStream.com, which goes up late on Fridays. This week I kick off a series of columns about my top five all-time favorite superheroes, so go read that when it comes out. I still take part in the bi-weekly Unique Geek podcast and write reviews for the Superman homepage as well, so I am all over the web, really, or at least at three different places. My efforts uh, to franchise myself are undaunted. Views from the Long Box is presented by Fortress of Bailey Tude Productions in association with MediaGauntlet.com. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. <laughs>